Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. And so I'm very excited to have my conversation with my guest today. He is the director of Bespoken Live. I have Joey Taylor. Hi, Joey. Hi, Shonda. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Of course, of course. So I'm going to start with you like I do all of my guests, and I'm going to ask, what is your labor of love? Yeah, I, I uh, thought a little bit about this question and I run a I run a nonprofit um, with I think one of your previous guests, Brad Wise, um, called Bespoken Live. And we call ourselves a storytelling organization. But if I had to specify my labor of love, I would probably say something like facilitating belonging. And um, the way that I do that with Bespoken um, is through facilitating story exchange and helping people think about what their own story looks like and what does it mean to listen to other people's story stories well but i really am taken by this idea of belonging and i think that's kind of like our i don't know our guiding north star as an organization and also probably for me as a as a person I, I I really appreciate how that is, how you framed it. I like the words. The words sound really good. So I do want to acknowledge you're right. Yes. Way back in season one, I had Brad on the podcast. And so you can go back and listen to that um, for reference. Before we go on talking about what your labor of love looks like and things like that, define belonging for <laughs> us. Yeah. Um I think belonging is one of those words actually probably pretty similar to story that's kind of out in the ether right now that kind of means sort of everything and therefore it means nothing. Um, For me, belonging has to do with a level of encounter with somebody else where both parties have a sense of being being seen and being known. I recently read a definition of belonging also that says something like when I belong to somebody or somebody belongs to me, I know that uh, whatever room they enter into, they'll carry my story with them and vice versa, whatever room I enter into, I'll carry their story with me. And so there's this sense of like belonging shapes and reshapes how you see yourself and who you are. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, that that's one way in, I think we could talk about. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, I can appreciate that definition. Um, when we, and when I say we, I'm, I'm thinking of the, the trauma responsive village in which I'm a part of when we mm-hmm. talk about and train on trauma and resilience, we always name the five, top five resilience factors that have been researched that when people have these things, they have a tendency to overcome their challenges and not go on to recreate them. 
And mm-hmm. one of the five is a sense of belonging sure. or affiliation. And so I really appreciate, um, you know, how you're defining that. And when I think about belonging, I've come to very much be able to separate what I think I grew up. So I grew up seeking belonging. I grew up as an only child in my home on in a neighborhood that did not have a lot of children and mm-hmm. and so there was like a, a perpetual sense of like loneliness or ice not even isolation but loneliness I would say that I experienced and so I can recognize now and probably even could recognize it then that I have always been a a seeker of belonging mm-hmm. one of the revelations that is becoming more and more clear to me as I look at my life and what, what my past, what parts of my past are showing up in my present, it's that I think growing up, I just wanted to be connected. I wanted belonging, but I didn't have anyone in my life who, if they did know what it meant, actually talked to me about belonging. So I started thinking that being around meant belonging or even being included meant belonging. And I'm starting to realize all the ways that I shapeshifted. I I mm-hmm. turned myself down. I did a lot of things so that I could be part of groups. And even when I did those things, ironically, I still didn't have a sense of belonging. I was just like in the room, but still not connected. So mm-hmm. when you talk about facilitating belonging, can you talk to us a little bit about what that looks like and how it's different from just inviting people or you know what's what are the elements of a community or a group that's belonging versus just being there yeah well I think I mean that that example that you gave your childhood is a is is really apt here um so I mean I said a key part of belonging is being seen and being known um in order to be seen and be known, we have to reveal our, our true selves, our, our authentic selves. And so I think some of what we're doing with the facilitation piece is we are um, inviting people to think intentionally about how they want to show up and which parts they want to authentically reveal. And so, um, and so it's not a haphazard kind of just show up and let's see what happens there's a level of intentionality behind it around here's the invitation to the specific the specific type of story that we're going to be telling today Um, we'll often model what this looks like we'll use um, some techniques that i've learned from you and some techniques i've learned from other people where we invite some presencing and embodiment so that people are actually able to um, intentionally show up and make a decision about how they want to show up in that space um, so that's a big part of it, I think. And then the other piece is not just the person who is sharing their story or are looking to be seen or to be known, but also the other party who is the one who is doing the seeing and the knowing and the listening. And we spend a whole lot of time with with that piece as well. Um, and I actually think probably even more important than the storytelling piece is how we invite story listening in the space. Um, and I, I mean, I'm sure you could talk a bunch about this, but for me, it seems like when we emphasize that piece, there is for the whole group, 
a larger sense of um, felt safety. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this is an okay place for us to be, for us to be really here. Um, so I think th- those are some things I would I would think about how, how belonging, what, what belonging looks like for us. Yes. Yeah. Some, so many things I want to talk about. But before I go into where my mind is going, I want to take it back for a moment and ask, where is this rooted for you? So, you know, mm-hmm. if you can identify an event, a situation or just, you know, a, a season of time in your life where this became important to you. And, and how did you know? Where's where's this stemming from? You know, I mean, some of the work of the, as a storyteller is to find threads, right? And I think if you drill down at probably any point in my life, this this theme of belonging, especially as it relates to and unpacks my identity, has has been there all along. Um, so it's just a matter of like, what do I want to share at this moment? You know. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I I don't know. I mean, there, there's some there's some real hallmark moments that come up for me. Some of which, to be totally honest, I like. I have to take a deep breath before I share it. Yeah. <laughs> but um. Um. Yeah. So I think like the, the one one significant moment has to do with uh, a terminal cancer diagnosis and me have me being forced to reshape who I was and not having a community of people um, that was long standing. And so uh, some of it was that and actually the, the, the people who came around me during that moment were people like Brad and other people. Um, so that, so that's a really formative moment for me. Um, I also think I mean, even since I was a, I was a little boy, I remember always being the person on the basketball team, the baseball team, and the classroom who um, was trying to form a sense of community. You know, um, so there's something there for me that's always just kind of been a real significant need for me personally. It's something yeah. I've always been trying to uh to cultivate to to make happen in my environment and but honestly i think i i really think if if i thought seriously about it for a second i could probably find a significant moment at every point in my life that would speak to how central belonging has been to me i appreciate that thank you so it it brings to question or brings to mind another question for me which is I not saying that you were saying exactly what I'm saying. I hear that you've always valued belonging and seem to be the person in these various groups and situations that was trying to cultivate community and a sense of belonging. For mm-hmm. me, I would describe it as I was always yearning for, longing for and and, yeah. and seeking to find that. How did you know when you found it? Like how do you know when you belong? What is it what are the qualities of being seen? Or what are the qualities of seeing others? Um, I think you talk about belonging so beautifully, but I'm thinking about folks who are really maybe exploring what this means to them for the first time or based on the definitions we've given and been like, wait a minute, I haven't thought of belonging that way. So what are characteristics that you found in your life when you do belong? And I'll answer that question as well, because it could give people examples. 
Okay. Um, yeah. So I think, I mean, one part that's, that's, that's a significant part of my story is that I grew up in a conservative Christian kind of environment. And there was a real strong sense of, you maybe would even call it like tribalism, a real strong sense of belonging, right? This is your group. This is who you belong to. Right. Mm -hmm. And so a part of the story that's mine is as that starts to fade away and starts to fragment a bit, where then do I find belonging? And how does belonging take shape in a way that's more inclusive and inviting to people who are outside of this group? Um, so that's a big part of, of what it's looked like. But because of that, I think some of one of the characteristics of belonging is a little intangible and maybe even like spiritual, like a little woo woo. Okay. So like there, there is a sense that I have in the room when authenticity and belonging comes in where I, I feel it in my gut. It's like, Oh, this is different. This is something, this is something real. And I don't, I feel it in my gut. Like, I feel like, you know how it feels like when you like first start, oh, maybe I'm going to cry. Like you don't necessarily cry, but you like feel it. Mm -hmm. So it, there's a, there's just like real, there's, there's like some cues in terms of bodily sensations that I have. And maybe that's all BS, but it sure feels re to, real to me. You know what I mean? And yeah. so, so that's number one. Um, se secondly, it's because of the work that I'm doing is around story. Um, very often, um, when we're in spaces like one of the spaces that we facilitate is called Kappa, which is like a ongoing kind of storytelling circle. And when somebody starts to tell their story and I've heard this story before, or when I can't find a story that they haven't already heard because we've been in a relationship for so long, that feels like belonging to me. Like, mm. you know, my stories, I know your stories and I'm sure there's some stories you don't know, but like, yeah. holy cow, this is crazy. You know, so those are, those are a couple of things that come come to yeah. mind. Yeah. Oh, I like those. Um, yeah. I hadn't thought about your second point. That's really good. Mm -hmm. Like, wow, we've been traversing together for a long time. I think for me, a few elements that really help me know that I belong are one, when an uh, old but very effective habit of shape-shifting and, and muting myself are a thing that I think will always show up in my life. I'm learning how to engage with them different. But when I'm in a space with people and the urge doesn't even emerge, mm -hmm. I'm yeah. like, oh, like, yeah, it, it, I belong here so much that my protective systems, my protectors haven't even sounded an alarm to say, maybe we should consider how we should be different. Yeah. That is huge for me. And sometimes I could be in it for a while before I recognize that it hasn't happened. And you go, ooh, like I just feel so, I, I'm just present. And, and there's nothing I need to consider about, should I say that or should I not? Should I do that or should I not? How will this be perceived? So for me, for one, that's a really, really big deal. Um, and, can, I can I interject oh, yeah, real fast? I, 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 I totally agree. I think the word I would use for that is ease. There's like a mm -hmm. sense of ease. Like that is for sure a hallmark of belonging for me. Yes, like, ease. Totally. That's an excellent yeah. word. Excellent yeah. word to describe what I was feeling. Like it's, yeah, you just walk in and it's, it, there's ease. Mm -hmm. Another component for me would be, it's kind of similar to your second one, but it's like, 
when someone reflects something about me, it can be present or it could be past. Um, one of the examples I'll give is with my partner, my husband, before we were married, think watching TV and you watch a commercial or you see something like a clothing advertisement or we're driving, whatever it is. When he, one of the first times he said, you would wear that. Like just talking <laughs> about something that you would wear that. Mm -hmm. I had never in my life felt what I felt in that moment, <laughs> which was like, you know me so well that you, you know, or he might say, you would like that. that the, and it's like, oh my God, I would. Like, you see me beyond the surface so much that you know that. So when I'm with a person or a group of people and they're either reflecting back a something about my past, maybe it's a story I've told in there, but they're not just going, oh, I heard that story before. They're making a connection. Oh, this is yeah. kind of like the time this happened. Oh my goodness, not only did you listen to the words of my story, mm -hmm. but you've connected with it so much that you can make connections and parallels mm -hmm. in my <clears throat> in my present life. I belong here because yeah, I'm so welcomed here. I do that for a lot of other people just by nature of how I show up in the world, right? It, whether I say it or not, like, oh, I think that's connected to this, this, and this. That's how I view the world. But yeah. to be in relationship with other people who are like, oh, yeah, you know, like that time that that happened. Oh, that, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I think those are a couple of things where I go, wow, I feel like I really belong in this space. Yeah. You know, I think, as, as as you were saying the second one that really resonated with me i was thinking about how good uh brad is at that and how he's like uh, very often making connections to earlier parts of my story but then then other people started to come into my mind as well like like you're obviously incredibly gifted at that as well and there is a i don't know i don't want to call it a skill set but th but th there is some like adeptness at tr doing this kind of thing and um, I don't know. I I don't know. Sometimes I feel a little nervous. That I'm being tricked by by somebody who's really skillful at their at their profession mm. versus like authentic relationship. You know, um, yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know like with a ther like in a therapist counseling relationship, it's a little it's a little unique and different. There's not a mutuality there and that kind of stuff. But like. Um, but yeah, some people some people are just really freaking good at this kind of thing, you know. I love that you brought that up because I I think it warrants a little more discussion, right? I'm I'm going to speak on behalf of myself, but someone who stands that's very good at that, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I have learned and I I want to make this a universal statement. When we identify our gifts, our essence, essentially, our essence and our blessing. I talked about this uh, a few episodes ago. What shows up in the room when we show up and the inherent impact that we have when we are in our true essence, right? Once we realize that, I think it's so imperative for us to understand that we can be gifted with something, but that means we still have to do a lot of work at cultivating it. Mm -hmm. If we don't cultivate our gifts, we can end up doing harm unintentionally. 
And so one of the things that shows up for me is I recognize that my essence, how I show up in my most authentic self, people feel words because I I ask, I, you know, and words I get are comforting. I'm a very comforting presence. Um, I get safe. And there is a way that I show up in the world that instantly makes so many people feel immediately connected. Mm-hmm. They feel seen. I am a seer. So mm-hmm. they feel seen. I am a knower. They feel known, right? Now that I'm growing, maturing, evolving, I have to be careful <laughs> because <clears throat> if I'm not careful, I might send, it, it could be misleading. And what I mean by that is I want every single person that I ever encounter to feel seen and loved because they are worthy of being seen and loved. But I don't necessarily want to be in relationship with every (laughs) single person that I meet and encounter. Mm -hmm. And so I think what I didn't have a grasp on throughout my life is, and because let's not forget the, the pen, I was always seeking approval, connection, it, I believe this is part of why, and this is coming to me as I'm talking, why I thought all people had to be my people. But yeah. I felt so dissatisfied sometimes because just because I can connect and I can help people feel seen doesn't mean they necessarily possess qualities and characteristics that I need in my life. Yeah. Right. So I have this universal quality that everyone's like, oh my God, yes, that's good. I could use some of that. Mm-hmm. But that, and so I have had so many relationships that have felt unreciprocal, that have felt mismatched, that I felt let down, rejected, disappointed. And I think part of it is that point you're saying, like, I'm not trying to trick anyone. I just do believe that that is, that is how, why I am here so that people can instantly feel like, oh my God, this is what being loved feels like. And I deserve more of that. But if they can't just take that and then apply it somewhere else, then there's a lot of people who are trying to connect with me yeah. that 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 I I don't feel I belong there or I belong with them. So that that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, I was I mean, I I was thinking as you were talking an additional way I feel belonging. And this is probably maybe a little more unique to me. I was thinking about my relationship with my partner, even with my good friends, with Brett, with, with, with different people. Um, when I'm able, when they're able to initiate conflict with me and say no to me, that feels like belonging to me too. Mm. That feels very satisfying to me. Um, in a, in a, in a kind of perverted, like weird, weird way, you know, like, like, Oh, they feel safe enough to say no to initiate conflict. But I, but I think that also connects a little bit to what you're saying, because there's some there's some level of I can trust the boundaries that have been set up in our relationship. Right. These boundaries can hold the difficult stuff. And also, I don't have to worry about like, am I has has the boundaries that I've constructed be are, are they are they different than the ones that this other person has constructed? Right. There, there's a clear kind of mutual agreement on on who we are together. And um, yeah, I don't know if that that. Resonates. Oh, that, no, that was great. Yeah. Mutual agreement yeah. on who we are together. I love those yeah. words. When yeah. you were talking, what it made me think of is um, I agree. I'm coming from the opposite side. You know, once you said when someone is willing to tell you no or initiate conflict with you, I resonate with that because how if I were to use this like as a 
thing I'm tracking, I would track a sense of belonging by who I'm willing to go into conflict with, right? Like you said, I think about having been offended by how many countless people and times, right? If I have the sense of it's not even worth me telling you that you've offended me, yep, this is not a relationship where belonging is, right? And and the, the interesting thing about it is how I'm now tracking proximity, right? Maybe I'll have a neighbor who does something and it's like, yeah, I'm going to see you all the time. Like there's, there's a, a degree to which our physical proximity is close and yet, and still, I don't even consider this relationship worth, mm-hmm. worth salvaging mm-hmm. because if I did, you know, with the relationships in this, not that I, I don't avoid or run away from conflict, but it's really challenging and uncomfortable for me to initiate it. Mm-hmm. And, but when I get that, that mm, like, this is going to be a hard conversation. I don't know the outcome necessarily, but the relationship is worth yeah. trying. So then mm-hmm. I'm going to say, this is how I was impacted by that. That's when I know, okay, the, the, the things that have happened, even significant things, right? Things that on one hand, I would think you just can't let that slide. But when I go, I would rather disconnect with you than to even go through the hassle of making it work. That lets me know a lot about a relationship. <laughs> and I've thought back over some things that's like, man, that was messed up. Yet I didn't even take the time to say it was messed up. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think I was checking out of that relationship or it never had this significance to me anyway, if that's my response. So I resonate with that wholeheartedly. Hmm. That was right. good. Yeah, we solved belonging. There we go. We <laughs> right. Wrote, we wrote the definition. Where where are the prize? <laughs> like I feel like is it Nobel Peace Prize, maybe? It's something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about story and process. Yeah. Okay. So in in disclosure, I often like to tell people how I've met uh the uh the guests. And one, Joey, even before that, like we met at the hive. Yep. Right. Yep. So Troy Bronsink. Uh, he was the founder of the Hive. He was a former guest. And uh, we met like in passing at the Hive. I think you were doing some work there. So we met. But then we had this opportunity after, well, what year was that? Oh, 2018. I know what year it is, actually, because it was very close. So I may have talked about this a long time ago. But in 2018, there was a shooting downtown Cincinnati in what's called a fountain square it's kind of a central point of downtown why that was extremely significant for me and my family is because the shooting took place at fountain square and people were running into fifth third building which is a bank and mm-hmm. it might have even started right there at fifth third the did, significance yeah. of that is that two weeks prior to the shooting jay um was laid off from fifth third oh wow and like the timing of the shooting would have been right along the time frame had he dropped our daughters off at daycare and proceeded to go downtown to the office there so when it happened and and when you've worked at a job for almost a decade and then very suddenly you get laid off and you have small twins and your wife's business has just begun. Like there are a (laughs) lot of stressors, (laughs) a lot of stressors during that moment. Okay. But then you get news like this 
Mm-hmm. You're sitting at home and you hear about this. And there was a part of me that had never been more grateful for a layoff in my life. And I think, at least for me, I won't speak for Jay, but I, I think I can in saying that really gave us a pause to like pause and evaluate because I know for me, there are no such thing as coincidences, right? Mm-hmm. There, that that there is an orchestration in my life that happens that that I'm learning more and more to surrender to. And so, but along the lines, there were a lot of people in the city impacted. You know, Brad may have shared this on the podcast. I don't think he would mind if I share, no. you know, that he was downtown, you know, the office for Bespoken is downtown and he was close in proximity to it, but it was him telling the story about seeing the reactions and faces of people around him who were more aware of like what had just happened. He was witnessing the the response to what happened. So we were impacted. So many people were impacted and there was someone from, and you can be, you can take over now and tell me like who approached us. To so, so there was an, another person who was like on the scene during the shooting as well. Um, who runs the the Johnson Foundation. And so her name is Amy Goodwin. So her and Brad um, set up a meeting and um, I was there and we talked about, is there something that we can do? We have this um, bag of tricks, Brad likes to say, we have these different things that we, we can do. Um, is there something we could do together? So we started to, to, to think about what that was. And the very next call we made was to you um, to try to figure out because we knew we needed some some trauma expertise in the room. Um, and so from there, you, me, Brad, Laura, um, we built this thing called Story and Process, which is a, a workshop for people. Initially, it was designed for people who had somehow been subjected to gun violence, either directly or through a relative or something like that that they could go through um, with some trauma-informed approaches and, meth- and methodology, be able to tell their story and to be seen and to be known in the context of other people hearing their story. Um, and we were trying to plug into already existing kind of ongoing groups so we could deepen belonging and, and, and uh, help along the process of healing. So, so, that, so, so that's how it started. And we called Story and Process. And then we started from there to kind of apply this methodology to other trauma contexts as well. And so, um, and it's, and it continues to be something that we do even now um, at a little bit less regularity, to be honest, but for a while we are applying it to specifically the collective trauma that we all experienced with the pandemic. Um, and we've done some other things, things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I am really, there's a quote, I'm not taking credit for this, but I actually don't remember who said it, <laughs> but there's, <laughs> Someone who talks about healing happens when we can tell our stories safely in a safe environment. And when they approached me, I had a two-prong investment or connection to it. One, I did my work through Sandy Hook Promise and Mm -hmm. talking about gun prevention work and things like that. And then there's also, you know, my trauma, my trauma specialty where this was such an amazing such an amazing combination of gifts and processes that came together. It's not until recently that I start calling myself this. I even put it on my website. I'm a storyteller, a story, <laughs> a story holder, and uh, a soul hugger. <laughs> and to be able to 
facilitate a space where not only are we helping people tell their story, that that's good. Like, I love that. I love helping people tell their story. But there is something about what Joey and Bespoken do is like the craft of story. So mm-hmm. it's not just, you know, okay, what happened, right? One, most of us know that people in general are not great storytellers. <laughs> we take for granted that it is there are components there is a skill set you would know this if you have a person in your life that talks a lot and it takes them a really long time to get to the point it's like unnecessary details are added but then critical things you're like but wait how did we get here <laughs> and then you find yourself rolling your eyes like oh my god they're still talking it's not that their story is not valuable it's not that the person is a nuisance it's probably that they lack storytelling basics right mm-hmm. so storytelling is a craft it has been so phenomenal to be able to be connected and collaborate with folks who can really just help me understand the craft of a story mm-hmm. so taking a skill but also creating an environment where people's nervous systems are attended to while they learn a skill that's the highest way highest ret- way to retain information is yeah. to first prioritize making sure that people feel safe and that people's nervous systems are in a space where they can have access to their prefrontal cortex. So they're not in survival mode. They can take in information and then apply that information to different things. And and so the collaboration of us doing this work not only helps people to, again, feel safe, work on crafting their story, connecting where the story lives in their body. That's a big thing that we do. You know, we often think that stories come from memory yeah. in our mind um, when so much of our story is held in our hippocampus, which is in our limbic system, which we don't uh, consciously control. So we got to go through the body. Teaching people how to do that is huge. And then finally, like uh, like Joey said, story listening. I'm going to turn it over to him to talk more about story listening, but I want to make an emphasis. I do call myself a story holder. Everyone is not intended to be a story holder, but if we can be good story listeners, that's it. And I, the distinction I make between that is some of us are experiencing a multitude of challenges because likely you're holding on to something that someone said to you and you need to let it go. There is a difference between building the capacity and skill to listen to someone's story, but then you have to have a filtration system that gets that out. I am a story holder because I have those things, because I have a lot of ways in order to make sure that I am not burdened by or that I'm not holding people's stories inside of my body. I have a way to kind of externally hold those things because people come back to me right? I have to be a story holder because I'm going to see multiple people multiple times and I can't just put it out of my mind, right? But I just wanted to say that because some of us are operating as story holders and we should just be story listeners. Mm -hmm. And if you felt something in your body when I said that, (laughs) I I think it would be something for you to just be intentional about considering Am I being a story holder when I should be being a story listener? But Brad, can you talk to to the listeners about what story listening is? Yeah, so I, I want to just reflect a little bit on what, what you said, then I'll oh, talk please. about story listening. I, I um, in terms of the story, the story crafting piece, I think the most important thing that we do as storytellers, 
well, if we're telling our own story, if we're helping somebody else tell tell their story, is is to find is to find those threads. It's just to find those connections between seemingly disparate moments, unconnected moments in our lives, and to say actually, there's something here that's happening that's connected. And for me, thread work is meaning making work. So what we're doing is we're making meaning of stories that were maybe in these cases, some of the most difficult moments of our lives. And there's no prescribed meaning. There's no like short uh, bumper sticker or Bible verse or whatever that's going to get us to that. Um, But it's something that we assign as we it's the meaning that we assign as we find connection and threads through different moments in, in our stories. I think that is that is the most crucial skill of a storyteller mm-hmm. and the one that we're really trying to emphasize with story and process. Um, so I wanted to emphasize that. The second thing um, in terms of stories being stored in the body. Um, I remember so specifically when we were working on this, uh, Laura Buffington, who hasn't, I've just said her name once, but she was uh, a key part of designing what we, what, what we do with story and process. Mm-hmm. And she was, um, leading the very first group that we were facilitating in this and she asked people to imagine at the moment that this 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 trauma happened in their life do they remember what they held in their hands what they held in their hands and uh something unlocked there for me i i don't have any 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 direct experience with gun violence but i remember thinking oh this isn't a cognitive exercise. This is something entirely different. Um, so I yes, I wanted to say those two things. And in, in terms of story listening, um, there's a couple of ways that we kind of we get at it. Typically, I use these three story listening guidelines. I say number one, listen with your body. Number two, listen with your imagination. And number three, respond in kindness and gratitude. Um, and so, in terms of listening with your body, and I almost always say something like we all know how to listen to stories when we care about the person that we're listening to right we just we just do it because we care about them and who they are affects who we are and we're in we're in community together we're in belonging together so we do it but sometimes we need to bring a little of intentionality to the room so that we can give that same sense of felt safety to the person who's telling their story so number one we say listen with your body and that just means when someone's telling their story you lean in you give affirming nods you um, show people that you care about what they're saying with your body posture and your eye contact and all that stuff. There's intentionality with how you're interacting with them. Secondly, we talk about listening with your imagination. And, and so there's been all this research that says that um, imagination cultivates empathy. So people have done fMRI scans and said, um, imagine yourself kicking a ball and the same same parts of the brain light up as if they were actually kicking a ball right and so we know that if you imagine being in the story with the person that it cultivates empathy and the third thing is because so often especially when people are telling hard stories you don't quite know how to respond and you don't you don't want to make them feel awkward or like you don't you don't see them or you don't know what to say and so we just give people a little script, something like, thanks for sharing the part that resonated with me is this, or thanks for sharing the part that I liked is this. And we do a little bit of coaching around um, what, it, what it means to honor somebody's story. Um, I'm sure you, 
almost everybody who's listened has told a, a hard story to somebody before and then they have felt um they have felt belittled by the way people response respond I mean, they could be like with the cancer stuff i talked about earlier oh yeah i have an aunt who had cancer once too i'm like well we're not talking about your aunt right now so maybe don't <laughs> talk about your aunt you know or um but it often comes in that kind of form of like i've been i've been through what you've been through before mm-hmm. or an and, immediate jumping to oh well, have you tried like yeah, yeah. Here, advice, let, me go ahead and, advice. let me go ahead and fix this real quick yeah, yeah exactly advice yeah so we talk about this isn't a space for advice it's not a space for one-upping it's not even a space right now for saying yeah me too just wait a second and let that person's story be their own and just honor them with one thing you're grateful for. Man, I really appreciated the way that you shared this detail. I could see that it was difficult for you to share this aspect of your story. Thanks so much for going there. Ooh, I loved how you pulled that thread and that thread together. I didn't expect that. Ooh, that little detail, man, I'm not gonna forget that detail. We talked about when you talked about your dad and the way that he used to skip rocks across the lake, whatever, whatever it is, right? You're just trying to let that story be their story and honor what they've contributed to the space because we know that telling stories is an act of courage and vulnerability. So we just want to do that for a second. Um, so, so that's kind of how it starts with story listing. We listen with our body, our imagination, and we respond in kindness and gratitude. And it transforms the space. Yeah. It, it, we are, um, we being humans are story oriented. So we've been around story our whole lives in way in all shapes and fashion and forms. You know, our history ancestrally was passed down through story. And right. so this emphasis on reading is relatively new comparative to how long being able to listen to story was actually how we came to know what we know. Mm-hmm. And when you put a group of people together who've been engaging with story in various ways, you have to set some guidelines or else people are going to do what they've always done from their histories, their cultures, their families and things. So we set this container and you can feel yeah, what is happening in that room. It's amazing. Um, the most recent um, story and process that Bre- uh, Joy and I did together was more of a larger it was it wasn't the full workshop because it was like a conference style right the challenge there is you're telling people the importance of this you're trying to give them a sample of it but you don't have the time to really build it and so what happens is you have these rounds round tables whatever 10 that's sit eight to ten people and we're doing our best to to do what we do and we go into the storytelling and story listening portion. And you <laughs> could tell the folks who were really doing what we asked them to do, who were leaning into the process, who were who were following these steps, who were giving feedback the way we invited them to. And mm-hmm. you could tell the people who were like, oh, we do this. Thing. Yeah, we do, oh, we ain't do it that way. But, but you could tell. Now, I'm trying to say that as neutrally as possible. Because the people who were just kind of, oh, we doing whatever, they seemed very satisfied with what they were doing, right? So it's not like you're bad or you did it wrong, but it was also clear that they were not having the same experience that the people who were doing what we invited them to do were doing. Very different experiences that we could even see from the outside. 
So it's not that, you know, we out here saying this is the only way. We engage with story all kinds of ways. But I really, really, really appreciate being connected and a part of something that is helping people do what we always do, story listen, story tell, story share, in a way that deepens our empathy and our compassion and our connectedness. I want to bring it full circle for us. How is this connected to belonging? I mean, I think it's it's intimately connected to belonging. I mean, I think what what we are doing is facilitating belonging and story and process, right? That's what we're doing. We're, I mean, like that container you're describing is the is a container of belonging. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a container where belonging can enter, where people feel safe, where healing can happen. It's I mean, it's a it, I, they're they're part and parcel with one another with what, the, the two different conversations we've been having. I I I, I do I want to emphasize the like the experience that you just said because I think we had a conversation at one point while people were were kind of doing their thing and I'm like half this room isn't even telling a story they're just they're just uh you know commentating on what the what what are our, our processes <laughs> and and you know there there's so there's so much within that like the the, uh, the expectation of like what when they enter the room do people know what it is that they're about to take part in do they think they're going to do something else than what we actually did do they feel a little like disoriented maybe they don't feel like a, an embodied sense of safety they don't, they don't feel like they can quite do it or maybe the person they're talking to and the person that they're engaging with is like, nah, not this person. I don't know this person like that. I don't want them to know this part mm-hmm. of me, right? And so there's a ton, there's a ton of things happening here. And there's also like the posture of being the people in the room were the experts in their own regard and they wanted to maybe be um, maintain that kind of position as well. There's a there's a, there, there's a there's a lot happening there. Um, um and I and I and I think you talked about the letting go of story. There there is some invitation within this to let go of some of your own story Mm -hmm. as you enter into spaces like this right let go of like who you are that doesn't participate in things like this let go of the person who says um i'm not sure if anybody is safe for me to share this thing with you know let go of some of that stuff um and and take a risk because it is a risk there is vulnerability and really showing up authentically like that um i love that you mentioned risk yeah it's a risky process. And I, I, I really appreciate you naming that because I would imagine that some people are listening to this and their body is responding like, are you crazy? Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Some of us, our survival was predicated on keeping the story. Yeah. I know there's so much of my childhood um, pivotal moments that were that. Yeah. We're keeping the story keep it close Mm -hmm. to the chest what happens in this house stays in this house don't be going out there telling everybody our business don't nobody Mm -hmm. need to know what's happening in here and I understand the historical roots of that I understand that for my ancestors you had to um like literally Mm -hmm. death was on the other side of a story because you could say something that someone could use and manipulate and turn about your family or about your neighbor and so I want to note that for some of us we have a historical intergenerational and epigenetic knowing that says our safety is keeping the story to ourselves. And I don't want to discard that. And I don't want to minimize that. And, but, but so much of the beautiful power of the work is we have to examine, is that still true of everyone? 
Yeah. Are there people in places where where belonging and safety can be cultivated, where I can unburden it? And so that's the beauty of the work that we're doing. It's yeah. not saying everyone has to do it and it happens in every setting, actually no. contrary to it that. Can't, it can't happen in every setting. It cannot. No. Absolutely not. Yeah. What we're doing is saying, here's how we can be part of cultivating the places where it can Right. And it's it's really powerful work. And I'm so honored to do that work with you, Joey. So Absolutely. as we start to finish up, is there anything I didn't ask, anything we didn't talk about, or any like just last thoughts or parting words for the listeners? Hmm. <laughs> um I, the thing that's coming up for me. Let's see, we'll see what happens here. Okay. The thing that's coming up for me is um I just realized as you were talking, um, I have the, I have this real sense of gratitude that I feel like you're on my side and one of my people, and maybe that's me my my own stuff projecting onto you. But there's been a there's been a there's been a handful of times where I've called you and said, "Hey, I'm doing this thing. I don't quite know how to think about this. Could you give me a couple of handles?" And I just knew it was gonna be really really compelling stuff that i could trust and mm. so um yeah i just i just really value you as as a partner in this work and um i'm grateful that that that, that you're you're doing this with us so yeah, thank you yeah, yeah it's i i belong whether it's bespoken you know if i just name it joey and brad like yeah it that you know and i hope y'all know that y'all belong with me yeah. and yeah. and that that is i appreciate that because this is just an example and i and full transparency joy and i do not talk very often <laughs> like you know it's not like oh we do that whole like hey quarterly let's check up we don't it's one of those things though that like if i contact joy or he contacts me we know that we need something but yeah. you know, unlike some other relationships when I'm they only call me when they need me. I have never <laughs> felt that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? That and and I I hope that we're emphasizing too that belonging looks so many different ways. Yeah. And uh, the way you said it, I I might get the exact words wrong, but it was beautiful that we both have a intentional conscious understanding of who we are together. Yeah. I feel like yeah. that that's a seed you planted in me as I work with relationships. Though that combination of words feels really beautiful for me to gift to the relationships that I'm working with. Because yeah. the thing about boundaries, which I love talking about boundaries, <laughs> is both people's boundaries don't need to be the same. And what I mean by that is think about a person who, um, you know, they're always like, hey, not even me. You might have a key to their home you water their plants while they're out of town or you have access to their home they don't necessarily have to have access to yours mm -hmm. just because you have access to theirs and it can still <laughs> work just fine because both people have established where their boundaries are but there yeah. is a collective boundary where one person i know they're going to come in my house when i'm not here it, <laughs> it doesn't have to be mutually exchanged we just gotta know that it's mm -hmm. not mutually exchanged yeah. right and so I I value and love this relationship because we get to do so much meaningful, powerful stuff together. And we know that no matter how much time has passed, mm -hmm. you know, it's going to be like, oh, we haven't talked in a year. But like, hey, here's this opportunity. Should we should we, you know, go let's, for it? Let's, let's do this thing. Yeah, like, totally. let's do it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I absolutely love that. And I love that I could call 
um, will email really and talk to Brad and Joey and be like, listen, do y'all remember when I did my sticks and stones exploring the words that mm. um, became, I forgot even the title of it, but it was, it was a, it was a, um, a healing circle that I was holding. And I realized I wanted to use so many, I wanted to introduce the elements of story, but mm -hmm. because I value this relationship so much, I didn't just go, oh, I'm part of story in process. I can do this. I reached out to them and said, hey, listen, yeah. here's this thing I'm thinking about doing on my own. And it's going to incorporate, you know, so much of what we do together. I just want to let y'all know, are there any thoughts, like any apprehensions? If there are any apprehensions, let's either negotiate them or I won't do it. And I mean, their response was so obviously like, let us know how it turns out. That sounds awesome, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. yeah. but because I belong with them and to them to an extent, and they belong with me and to me to an extent, we are able to cultivate even considering that yeah. because there is that sense of mutual. I see you. I feel you. You put yourself into this process there are words and concepts but you put yourself into that and I honored them so much that I wanted them to know this is how I wanted to do that so mutual brother <laughs> <laughs> so if Amazing. people heard something and they're like I want to know more or I just want to get in touch with Joey how might people find and connect with you yeah so um well story and process we have a website storyandprocess.com um, you can also find our our website for bespoken bespokenlive.org um and then we're active on instagram is probably the best social media to find us on um you can just search bespoken live and they'll come up um besides that i'm happy to give you my email i'm really looking i'm, I'm looking for for more people who are trying to do this kind of work i'm really happy to collaborate if people want to reach out or want to talk so yeah probably in the show notes or something probably the easiest way to do that yeah though. we'll yeah. have all of that in the show notes um joey it's been awesome i so thank you for taking time out and disclosure we both realized when we we're recording this when we booked it we didn't know our <laughs> children would be home but we made it through the right. whole episode without children on either side yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we still got a couple <laughs> seconds left right while i speak too soon yeah. so just thank you for taking the time and sharing your labor of love with me and the listeners Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Shonda. Of course. I want to, of course, give a shout out. Trey Angel, my nephew, does all the music for the Labors of Love podcast. I want to shout out my producer, Jay Sugg from Instant Classic Media. And I just want to thank my listeners for listening. Listen, y'all, we keep creeping. We are getting really, really close to 60,000 downloads and streams. And that's just super exciting. I will always say it's not a radio. You can't just happen to fall upon it and leave your radio there. Like you're intentionally clicking to listen. It means so much to me. If you haven't already, go ahead and give us that five-star review or five-star rating, write a review, share the podcast with your, your loved ones and friends. We're on all the major social media outlets. So stay connected. And until we connect again, you all be well. <laughs>